You had said yesterday, I think you said something that really that I kept thinking about, and it was about the freedom of having a business and how Jenny said that you seem more free than, than she does. And I kept thinking about that too, because your explanation of it was accurate, right? Like she is free to just leave her job tomorrow and that's it. Whereas we can't do that. We have to close up shop. We have ad accounts to shut down. We have employees to pay out. We... You know, we're ruining lives if we just close up shop. And some people might not find that responsibility great, but I thought of a concept. And the concept was um, you and I have is autonomous freedom. So we have freedom on the day-to-day to to just do what we want to do and when we want to do it. But we have to do it, whatever it is. (laughs) And she has uh, servitude freedom. Uh, She only has, she has freedom outside of nine to five. That's her freedom. And she doesn't have to do anything outside of that freedom. But during those responsible hours, those nine to five hours, she is uh, a servant. And I will gladly trade off having the responsibility of ruining people's lives if I can have autonomous freedom. I say this is this is a very clear indicator of how entrepreneurial you are in in even contrast to me. Not saying that I'm not because I am, but the way I would describe it is like not until most recently, like several months back, I would say I was always 60/40. I'm like, no, this is worth it. This is a good deal. I I like this. It is slightly better than it is worse the other way around and that's why i prefer it and then when things were like in the spring especially and then up until most recently with some of the stuff that i've been tackling i just said i was like you know 55 45 like (laughs) i'm not changing my mind and i'm not going to but it's definitely sucked more in some ways more recently more recently is in the, the big picture of the giant scale of how long we've been doing this and when you you have to like really weigh things and think, is this the kind of weight I want to be signing up for? Because no matter what you do, the older you get, the more weight you're taking on in your life. And it's harder to get out no matter what it is that you're taking on. And so for us, it's we write people's checks and we have people's businesses who depend on us. And that's its own kind of scary weight. And um, just in case we decide to keep this in, can you give the <laughs> listener a little backstory about what we were talking about last night? Oh, it was the combo of recession, recessions and the words going around and people are talking about if it's happening, blah, blah, blah. And I said, there's a small, I can't even say small. There's a, there is a part. I don't know how big the party is. There's a part of me that is okay if we get hit with a recession because one, we're, we're fairly compared to a lot of industries, recession proof. When COVID hit, we didn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. If anything, we got busier. And so we're already exploring different ways that we can make money that aren't directly just offering services in the way traditional agency does. If everything blew up, which I don't even think it can, but if it did, that is yet again, not the worst thing in the world because we are so bogged down with responsibility. We are accountable to so much when, yeah, on the day-to-day, like I can go work wherever I want to. Some days I can even work fewer hours, but then I'll have to make it up later. No matter what, there's, there's no breaks. Everything always comes back to catch you. Whereas with a job, really you can walk in the same day. It's not great. It's not a good thing to do, but you can. You can walk in and say, hey, I'm out. Thanks. I'm good. I'm going to call it good for a while and go completely 
remake my life, but I'd say there's even heavy ramifications if we wanted to do something like that. Yeah, you're explaining to her, like, look, it looks like I have freedom because I have what I consider autonomous daily freedom, but I don't have long-term freedom. I don't have the freedom to just up and quit and start everything and, you know, start everything over. And then you're saying that she was like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think about it that way. It's almost like a bell curve when you're self-employed, not even just self-employed, but building a big company, if, if, if that's the goal. And that earlier on, you can quit if you want to, yeah. because you aren't in deep yet. And then the further you go along, the deeper you get. And the more people rely on you and the more you're accountable to until you get over the hill and you start delegating until you get people who uh, have their responsibilities because you've trained them and then given them what was yours. But when you do that, you're signing up for years, at least five, probably 10. And that's just the reality. And if you're not prepared for that, don't do it. That's a long, that's a long time and spooky. Well, we got sidetracked a little bit. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ever Bros podcast. Um, now that we're six minutes into this or however it turns out when I cut this. But welcome back to episode five. Today, we're actually talking about adding value to your services. So a, a little bit about the, the prelude that we were uh, kind of talking about was the fact that we're looking for other services to build off of right now to add value to kind of recession-proof ourselves. So I think um, there's, a, there's a few things that you can add value to in your services that don't require a lot of effort on your part or don't require a lot of costs, not just material costs or, or software costs, but also labor costs. In the last episode, we talked a, a bit about pricing your services and making sure that you're tracking your time and you're understanding what goes into the delivery of your services. But sometimes just what you offer by itself might not be enough value for a client to really consider that a lot or consider it for the long term. So then what what kind of has to come into play is you have to consider what you can add as a value to that service to keep the, the client happy and, and uh, coming back. It's also really helpful when you're first starting out because there's a lot of value that you can offer your clients that bigger competitors and companies can't offer. And one of those is communication. Communication was one of those biggest things in the agency that Cody and I worked at, where there are a lot of hands in the pot and a lot of red tape and your client manager or your client partner didn't really have the capacity to field a lot of requests. And certain questions would have to get funneled up to the sales rep or you know up to management to actually be able to handle some of this. And as an owner of an agency or, you know, a principal or whatever, in our case, a co-owners, we have liberty to field any request. If a client messages you, you have to understand that there is nobody for you to go to for an answer. You, it is your responsibility to find the answer. And sometimes clients can email you and if you can respond to them within the hour in a, a lengthy post, which is usually what I do, I, I am very well known for very long, lengthy emails because mm -hmm. I don't want... Which they appreciate it, right? Yeah, I mean... I've noticed, yeah they, I've noticed that. They, they really like the lengthy emails that go into to real deep detail about reporting or about even just like SEO concepts or theories. And uh, it's... Uh, if you can do that, you have a leg up over big competition any day of the week because the people who actually know that information aren't really the ones that are going to be answering client emails. It's going to be some junior level person who doesn't really know what they're talking about. However, we have gotten a few clients and prospects lately who've come to me and said, 
hey, I've I've been with multiple marketing agencies and I can't find the right one. I always feel like my account just gets passed off to some junior level person that doesn't know what they're talking about and I can't get a clear answer. This particular person I'm talking about, he even said that he would get a report and he'd ask a specific question like, hey, my cost per click is up. My cost per acquisition is up year over year. So I'm getting less for my money. Like, what's the deal? And he's like, look, if that's just the way it is, like if costs are just going up for ads, which they are, then I just want that as an answer. I don't necessarily need you to explain how you're going to get that lower. I just want to know. And he's like, I can't, I can't get a response on that. Where if he would email that to, to Cody and myself, I would probably respond to him right away or ping Cody and just be like, hey, can I get your insight on this real quick? Um, I, just I, to- I feel like that's the flow of larger agencies too, is because you have an agency that's big enough that you have a client who comes in and then the account gets passed off based on the person who actually originally communicated with the client. So nobody at that point has a great, super great relationship. It's very transactional. And they're saying, yeah, uh, this is what we do. You give us money. So when it's that, and then the value is supposed to be performance entirely. I'm not saying that we don't pitch ourselves that way, but if that's purely it and they come back to their report and say, this doesn't look good, then I know top down, a lot of the time they'll say, even if they don't explicitly say it, the implication is highlight the good and just gloss over the bad and don't say if something is bad or don't call attention to it as if the clients are dumb, (laughs) as if they can't just see, oh, this doesn't look good, right? I mean, we we don't do that. When things are bad, we tell them it's bad. Yeah. But we also have that relationship to do it. Yeah, they've noticed that too. I'm like, look, your results suck this month. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is what we're going to do moving forward. And and sometimes they just really appreciate that. The other thing too is don't report on metrics that don't matter. So if you're reporting on bounce rate, which we don't, then the bounce rate starts increasing and the client now wants to know why that bounce rate is increasing. But it's not a really a metric that matters. What matters at the end of the day is is conversions. So if you're reporting on metrics that don't matter at the end of the day, that just gives them more focal points to focus on and more things for you to try to manage. So we just report on the main things they need to know, clicks, conversions, uh, site traffic. And if they have any other questions, we can do a deeper dive. If site traffic is up, but conversions is down, then we might look at the bounce rate. Is something causing people to leave? But that's not something that should be reported to on the front end. It's just going to cause more questions. Yeah, and you as the strategist should know those things. You look at those things, but that doesn't mean that it's the secondary metric. It's important because you understand that it's important and you should because it's your job. But that doesn't mean that you should tell them because they don't need to know that much detail. I don't know if we talked about this and I don't want to go too far into it, but I'll just say I'm a very big believer in one page reports. If these people are busy, they just want to know within 15 minutes of reviewing things, are things, is this in good shape? Are things going well? Cool. If they have questions, then deep dive. Hey, what's going on? What, why, why is this happening? Why does this look like this? Okay. We'll go take a, a closer look and report on it that way. But just voluntarily giving that information isn't productive and it's a distraction. That's ultimately what it is. is it's, it's a distraction from the things that matter. That's good. It leads me to the next, my next value that we added, which is reporting. So obviously you should be reporting on your campaigns. That's, that's a no brainer, but there's a difference between reporting an Excel sheet or a Word doc, which is how I started out. I actually started out like cutting and pasting like different analytics and Google ads screenshots into one report. It was terrible. So there are reporting platforms out there that are pretty low cost and even free if you have the capability to to do them. Like Google Data Studio, which we'll talk a little bit later, is one of them that's free. 
but you can use tools out there like first of all google ads has its own reporting tool right you can download a report from google ads yeah i mean they're not pretty i mean yeah. You, you can yeah you can use google ads you can use google analytics um when i was very first freelancing i would use google analytics dashboards as reports and you can make them so that they're not terrible so that's not the worst thing you can do. Well, in Universal Google Analytics, I don't know. What's that look like in GA4? I have no clue. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, GA4. but anyway, so for an example, I think our first reporting tool that we actually used that combined sources was Raven Tools. Mm-hmm. And it was it's a relatively low-cost reporting tool. I mean, if you consider $80 a month low-cost, then it's low-cost. There's a lot of reporting tools out there that are a lot more, and they but they offer a lot more bells and whistles that we just didn't need. All we needed was something to report on metrics we don't need to use a lot of the seo features that you know semrush or moz or you know insert other reporting seo tool out there there's Uh, a lot yeah Yeah. and then cody did a deep dive and you designed these reports to really only focus on the key metrics the primary metrics and then broke it out by total organic and google ads pulled in search console data google analytics and google ads which are really the only really the three things we need and at the bottom of the report there was a little little section on it that says how to read this report and it'll tell you exactly how to read it best part about it my favorite part about it is you designed it so if they look at it on mobile it looks really nice and then once we were able to do that and actually create a report that we liked we worked with raven tool support because (laughs) their automating system was really weird and it wasn't just an automating system. It was being able to report on month over month statistics perpetually. So the next automated report should be the previous month or it should be the last month versus the previous month and then have that move forward like that each time. And then we ran into some difficulties with that. And there's a lot of legwork at the beginning. And we're like, Jesus, this is so much work. But we did get it solved. Yeah. Uh, Raven isn't necessarily the most intuitive but none of them are i mean you open up screaming frog the first time and you're like what is happening what is going on this people use this i don't i feel like a hacker now i did that with lisa and i feel like i saw her gulp (laughs) but you know you realize that some of them have a lot of value and then they're worth learning so Mm -hmm. yeah well now reports are an auto report just came out today actually on the third and everything is automated so it goes to all of our clients and then we get cc'd on them and we just go through each report and and take a look at it but our our clients love that because one big thing that i get a lot when we get new clients is they always say hey my last marketing agency there wasn't any communication and i never received any kind of reporting which is convenient since it's the first two topics we're talking about to adding value if you can communicate clearly and frequently and consistently and also provide consistent reports whether they're automated or manual we prefer automated because it saves us uh labor then great those are probably the two biggest pieces of value you can add as a marketing agency it's worth it to note too that most of our stuff is going to be geared towards seo and google ads because that's what we do yeah i was going to say too we are growing beyond that (laughs) in multiple ways in general like as our agency has grown we have now taken on larger clients so our automations have had to grow with that and we're still working on it. I wanted to say that the way that we learn things now, uh, given our size versus how larger agencies operate and learn things too, is we do deep dives when we're given the opportunity to learn something, but it's much harder to keep up with the random, hey, do you know this? So 
this is an offshoot, but when it comes to adding value to, you don't, people will say it all the time, but I'm just going to reiterate, you don't need to know the answers. That's not your job. Your job isn't to know them. It is to be able to go find them and figure them out and then give them like a realistic timeline on when you can do that. So in some ways we can, in some ways we're very far ahead compared to agencies that are too slow. And then in other ways it's, we can fall behind and say, Hey, we've been focused on this. So we need a minute, (laughs) give us a minute. We're going to catch up and then we'll school you on everything you need to know about this. You did a deep dive on GA4. There was no other agency out there that wrote anything about how to set up conversion tracking in GA4. Yeah, do a Google search for a GA form submission or GA4 form submission and it's me because I wrote it before Google did. Um, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of other companies have hopped on it, but yeah, codyc.com, you're the fourth organic result. Oh, that's hurtful. I must... <laughs> Hopefully it's better than whatever they did. And to be fair, I haven't updated it. I wrote it back when they first prematurely launched well, GA4. You also wrote it in 2020, and all of these articles are 2022 and late 2021. Mm, there you go. So, yeah, that is impressive. But I had another one, too. So also regarding the reporting, make sure that whenever you look for a software or something that you are going to use to add value to your services or your clients, ask the question, does this add value to my clients before you consider it because anything out there is probably going to add value to you if you use it the way that you want to. I remember I was coaching this one kid who wanted to start an agency and he clearly took a Ty Lopez course or some kind of marketing guru course because he started asking me questions that just didn't really matter. Like, Hey, what, what is your monthly profit? You know, costs. But the way he was asking me was like, if you're doing this solo, how much are you making? Because I, it just sounded like he wanted to just make a bunch of money and then be done with it. And then when I told him, I was like, yeah, I have a partner and we make, I think at the time it was like six grand a month. And he was just like, that's not a hundred thousand. I'm out. But he was talking about like getting some CRM out there. That was also some kind of lead page software that also produced reports. And it also made you milkshakes. And I don't know what else it did, but it was all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what do you need this for? Cause I was like, I use HubSpot, which is free. It's a free CRM that you can use. And uh, the reporting I use is Raven Tools, which is half the price of this thing that he was looking at. I think what he was looking at was $300 a month. So it was even more than half the price and uh, or less than half the price. But he was like, well, this this is for my clients so I can execute campaigns better. And I was like, you need to execute one campaign first. Like you need to get one client first before you even start considering getting any kind of software. And yep. yeah, I just wanted to make that abundantly clear too. Just ask yourself that question because- I wanted to move on to the next one, which was well, something that we recently did, which was uh, upgrade your invoicing. So a, a couple episodes, no, first episode, we talked about invoicing, finding an invoicing software. So we had initially started out with Wave App in that episode, and then we moved to PayPal under Cody's direction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he still regrets that decision to this day. I, yeah, so I, I had to come to terms with my life in the COVID, whatever it was. And that was originally, uh, I wanted a nomad agency, one that we could be anywhere, accept payments from anywhere and everywhere. And we've actually, we've gotten closer to that. But my goal, this is offshoot for sure, but I like building wealth. That's a fun thing. I think people who want to start their own agencies are probably in that same category. And I think the traditional American way that people have done it back when the economy was in the 60s and 70s and that sort of thing has gotten extremely hard. And that's why the digital nomad has become a thing is because they can tax hack. So PayPal would have made that easy for us. But then COVID happened, everything got shut down, and I 
came to terms with and realized that we're going to do this the old school way if we're going to do it. We're going to be old-fashioned Americans who, you know. So basically, PayPal was Cody's potential solution to solve international payments easier. That's how you say it shortly. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like PayPal, what the, like we got into PayPal and we started using it and there were a lot more issues that we were having with it. And we're just like, well, we should have looked into this deeper. But we recently decided to make a switch over to Stripe. And we looked through a lot. Who, who all did we look through for invoicing? Uh, QuickBooks, which... Oh, and then FreshBooks. FreshBooks. I don't... Those are the big Thanks. ones that we've seriously considered. Square at some point or something. Yeah, there was a lot that we looked at and then pretty quickly realized that they weren't a good fit. Yeah, and not even uh, just like looking at their... Web, like actually scheduling calls with people on them mm-hmm. because that's, that's the kind of thing we do when we decide to use the software is we really go in and figure out if it's going to work. Yeah, some created of, accounts, spent time in them, um, the whole shebang. Yeah. Some of the and I don't even remember how many of those we did. Yeah, some of the reasons why we didn't choose like QuickBooks or FreshBooks was just because like their automated invoicing was weird. And well, QuickBooks, uh, we wanted to do that because our accountant uses QuickBooks. The problem with that was that it wouldn't save. Like we would, we would update a template and then make a change and it wouldn't, it, nothing from the update, the save template would, would save or, or pop up next time we created a new invoice. It was frustrating. What was what was FreshBooks? It was their reoccurring invoicing. That was weird. Yeah, yep. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it now. But there were issues with it based on what our clients would like to see, and it just turned out that Stripe seems like the best fit for us. So we we got tired of. So I'll, t- I'll get to the point where our value was. What we don't want our clients to have to do is pay three point two percent, or I guess three point four nine percent PayPal's updated rate every time they pay an invoice via credit card, and we don't want to have to make them send a check every time if they don't want to. So we were looking for a payment solution option where they could do an ACH payment, so payment just through their bank online, and then not charge them. So wherever you go, there's always going to be an invoicing charge. There's going to be either a credit card payment charge, which is going to be three, roughly 3%, or an ACH charge, which is roughly 1%. But the caveat to ACH payments is a lot of invoicing softwares will cap it at like $10 or $15 or something like that. And if they cap it, then it makes it a lot easier to eat that payment versus a client who has maybe like a $1,000 management fee where that's actual profit and then like $4,000 in Google ad spend. The more they increase their ads, the more that 3% fee eats into your $1,000 profit. So we wanted to find an invoicing software that one, we could automate super easily. Two, that we could really locate our clients' invoices and see who's paid really easily because PayPal is awful for that. And also be able to provide a payment solution for our clients where they didn't have to send us a check or pay by credit card and they didn't have to pay a fee by doing so. And yeah, I think the uh, problem with PayPal, especially, sorry, I'm salty about this whole thing because I'm like, <laughs> I hate it so much. I have spent so much time with it. And when we started researching too, once we got to this point, so to be fair, PayPal was okay up until we started getting bigger too. It was okay until we started getting bigger all around. I mean, bigger clients and more clients because the fees started getting outrageous and managing the number of invoices that we were dealing with got hard too. So when we started looking for solutions that other people had done, those people don't talk. That's just the reality is once you start, this is such a humble brag to be like, we're so successful that the people we need to hear from are no longer talking on the internet. But that's that's kind of what it is, is we can't get 
those sort of answers easily. And then it becomes so situational too. So with like what we're trying to do with remaining remote, like my personal mentors, that's not as big of a, a thing for them. So what they're doing for invoicing isn't as, as big of a factor, I guess, to have something like that as a feature. And you just realize like you, you narrow down all of these things that are primary decision makers for you and getting customized advice to that sort of thing becomes harder. So spend a lot of time on it and find the right one for you. Stripe's good for us. The value is that like if our client is spending $5,000 a month and they choose to pay by credit card because they want to automate it and not have to deal with someone signing a check and sending it over. If we have a client that's spending 5,000 a month, most of that being in Google ads, we're charging them the credit card processing fee because we can do that because we live in Iowa or our business is in Iowa. So check your states first, but we're charging them basically $150 every invoice. So every single month they're getting $150 extra charge just because they're paying with credit card. But if we can say, Hey, we can automate ACH payments now through Stripe. You don't pay anything. You just, we're saving our client 150 bucks a month just because we switched our invoicing software. And that's another value that it's not tied necessarily tied to a specific service, but it's a value that you can add that doesn't cost you anything monthly. In fact, it's going to make our lives easier, use less labor costs, and save our client money. Oh, speaking of invoices, it's Cody, you brought this concept up to me too because I did a lot of free work for our clients in the beginning when we needed work and we needed to basically piggybacking off that communication thing from like being being small and agile and being able to execute a lot of custom client requests just because we're nice guys and because it gives us a competitive edge uh, to actually handle some of these unique requests where bigger companies want to be able to do that but when you do something as a favor for a client add it to their invoice and put a zero dollar charge that's something that you started doing cody or you started having me do yeah so when we get a one-off request that's beyond the scope of our our work then just so they know and they understand that this isn't scope creep this isn't we're just doing more work for free because we're nice guys it's okay yeah it's on your invoice here's the work that you requested here's the rate that it would have been and then here's us zeroing it out to show you that this is a favor yeah i think i think one that we might do that with now would be like setting up their google workspace email mm-hmm. where a lot of our clients that we've done that for are, have been free but now we started charging for it so clients who've gotten through the system or kind of been grandfathered in during the onboarding phase now who when, when we switched to charging for it after they already started onboarding with us we might set it up for free because it wasn't in their agreement or in their slide deck so mm-hmm. we'll still add it to invoice and say hey this is 500 bucks but it's zero dollars because this is a favor to you you know just so you know that we did this nice thing for you and we'll do it for other things too like if a client has uh, a website and they're like and all we're doing is hosting and we're not doing any marketing services for it but they want us to make a couple edits to the page and it's just on the cusp of is this a minor change or is this a chargeable change in his next hosting invoice he would just get a 125 dollar or 250 dollar line item on there for website changes that was zeroed out oh i had uh so the next one i had was uh that we did was automated backups so we host a lot of our client sites most probably 90 percent of our client sites and one thing that we do that a lot of other hosting providers don't do is automated backups i think that's something you can pay for on upper hosting products well, we we do them remotely 
so yeah, I mean, just in general, our we didn't really plan a lot of website services from the start because we didn't think that we were going to be a website company. And then we realized that you need to have a plan, even if you don't want to be it, because if you build websites, then you'll get stuck with them. So yeah, we started adding remote automated backups as a uh, feature, yeah. and it's a good good thing for them to hear. I mean, because I think we might have had to use it once. Be, just only because it was a user error, like something we did an update and it, it was recently. We did an update and it like kind of broke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so because there's multiple layers of backups. We have, okay, we have our reseller account with our partner that we use reseller hosting. We've got Jetpack backups there. They do their own entire business backups of their servers too. So if we have a disaster scenario, we can go to them and say, hey, Jetpack wasn't working. Something went wrong there. Can you guys help us out? Let's say that that doesn't work for some reason too. We also do our own remote backups on our own third-party storage uh, space where they're also backed up too. So we're like triple backed up. Do we do that weekly or monthly? Weekly. Those go out weekly. And that's only, I mean, it could be more too. We just don't have any reason to because nobody's really updating their site that frequently. That's a problem. We check it monthly though. We check it monthly uh, with uh, some of our account managers just to make sure that the weekly backups are still backing up weekly. Yep. Make sure nothing's broken. But it takes, it takes Lisa at like 10 minutes to check everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good, so that's why it's a good value sell is just so they know it's not a huge time sink and they feel confident, secure, knowing that we're prepared in a disaster scenario. So, because the disaster scenario here for remote backups is that something with our host goes terribly wrong. Oh no, the office blows up, their servers are completely gone. Doesn't matter whatever they were doing and the, wherever they were storing their backups too was also gone. Well, we've got it somewhere else that's not even there too. So we can go take it to a new host if we have to. That would be terrible to try to imagine dealing with, but if we had to, we could do it. Yeah, I, I think we'll never have to really use a backup, hopefully, but the fact that we can save that to clients and say, hey, your, your site's backed up weekly, it, it is a value sell, but also it allows us to act, it allowed us to actually increase our price for hosting. We started out doing like 25 bucks a month or 250 bucks a year to host because we're trying to be competitive with like HostGator, which is just absolutely stupid because an uh, agency our size cannot be competitive with the hosting prices of other uh, hosts out there and be profitable. Not to mention all they're, yeah, the, all they're doing is hosting. We're managing too. Yeah. We, we are doing things that all they do to charge that is to put stuff on their server. We are also doing security backups, malware scans, that sort of thing. I mean, they'll, they'll position things that way to say that they automate it with their bots and all that too. And yeah, that's a thing, but it's not the same as my site's down. I'm calling. Why is my site down? Please take care of it and fix it. Because if you do that to one of them, they're going to be like, yeah, everybody's down. We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you have a different site problem too, like GoDaddy charges you or has you buy tokens and the tokens are like 60 bucks a token or something like that. But yeah. So in that way, we actually are cost competitive to, to someone like GoDaddy in that regard, because we're still a little bit under what an equivalent thing would be with them. Yeah. So our, our new price, instead of being like 250 a year, it's 225 a quarter or 720 a year. So what does that break out uh-huh. monthly? So 70, 75, 75 bucks a month is what our host. But it's for the 720, right? Oh, for the 720, yeah, but it's 60 a year or 60 a month. But the one of the biggest things that you hated, well, that we both hated doing was chasing people down for 25 bucks every month. Like yeah. some people just want to pay <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, we're going to switch to annual and quarterly and we're going to jack the price because 
if I'm going to chase you down for money, it better be at least 225 bucks. Yeah. And well, we weren't in a position to do anything about it. That's the reality is that we were still growing. We were young, dumb, broke, the whole thing. But we've gotten bigger now and now realize the value that we offer fully, the full extent of it too, instead of just listening to clients uh, front and do a little BSing maybe because they realize now I need a website. I need my website to work. I need it to be optimal. And there's the flip side now, instead of us like begging for money because we're starting out and need to prove ourselves, it's we don't need this anymore. And it's not price gouging. We're not we're not flipping it on that side to be like a mafia. We're just saying, look, this honestly, it wasn't worth our time. We were doing it, how much work we were doing for how little money uh, we just didn't know yet. And now we know that this is worth it. This is what it costs for our time to be worth it. You either understand that or you can go back to doing a WYSIWYG you know, website builder with GoDaddy or something. Go back to Wix, Squarespace, that sort of thing and the issues that come with it. So you can downgrade like that and maybe you should if that sort of price increase spooks you because you got a little big for your britches then because partly we undersold ourselves that's the biggest thing is really undersold sold ourselves and when we started adding this value we're like okay well we need to increase the price to match it so that's two things you can do you can either increase the price to match the value you offer or you can add a value to a service to increase your customer retention and the value they're getting from it you usually do the former if you're in a confident position with how many clients you have and your client retention rate and things like that at the beginning you're going to be adding value to services just to get and maintain clients which kind of leads me into another topic which is positioning so you can add a lot of value to your services just by how you position it you don't even have to do anything to add anything if you go to our website we tell you why you shouldn't work with us which is my, probably my favorite part of our website we also it's, it's very fun and rewarding to go start your own agency based on all the things that you were told that a previous agency wouldn't work and then have it work <laughs> yeah you're like oh well here's me with it not working <laughs> we had uh we even have on our hiring page like why you shouldn't work for us and mm -hmm. uh i was telling lisa about some of the applicants that we were getting and i was like yeah some people just like they wanted to go into an office and lisa was like it literally says on there if you want to go into an office this isn't the position for you <laughs> and, uh, and that's what you were like that's why you work here and not anybody else mm, yeah that's, that's how it works <laughs> wait uh but on the client front too we have god i want to actually pull open are like why you shouldn't work with us so i'm going to read through i'm going to read through a couple of these and summarize them just to show you how we position ourselves and then how it's actually helped us get the most out of our clients and our time and value and, and value or self-worth i should say so there's no immediate results that's the first thing is if your client is expecting immediate results that means that's going to make you work harder in the beginning to try to d drive those if that precedent wasn't set so if you know how long it's going to take to pr procure results then make that abundantly clear at the very beginning and then they, they might leave you alone when we launch a new website like we go through an onboarding phase we literally tell clients like hey expect radio silence for like two weeks because we're building after you fill mm -hmm. out your client information document i don't need anything from you so like let us work as a salesperson i'll still sometimes reach out to them and just you know communicate yeah i was it we come at this two ways we say hey we're not going to talk to you but then we also proactively talk to you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah what is it uh, undersell over deliver under promise over deliver mm -hmm. 
Uh, the next one is where marketers, not designers. This is one of my favorite ones because I just used this yesterday. We had a, a client that said, hey, I want this to pop. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm not a designer. And frankly, some of the designers I talk to don't like hearing that either because they don't know what it means. I want to pop is super subjective. But this also comes to the kind of the play where we are a web design company second and a marketing company first. So we offer website designs because we have to. Clients come to us, they want marketing, they don't have a website. We have to build this. Or they want marketing, they have a terrible website. Well, I don't want to pawn you off to somebody who designs websites and also does marketing because that could lose business. So we usually go to our clients. And, and the one right across from this on the page is websites built to perform. So if you don't like the design, that's fine. But what do you really want? A really nice website? Or do you want do you want clients? Do you want sales? And we know that the websites that we build convert. I mean, they convert 10 to 30% conversion rates, which is insane. And I just have to kind of communicate that knowledge to them too before we start and Fortunately, their new client we signed a few months ago in Virginia, he was saying that, you know, hey, I know you guys aren't designers, but can I make visual updates as we go, you know, just get like a minimum viable product on and then we can make changes like, yeah, absolutely. That's totally fine. Just know that we're not going to create, you know, the next Apple. Uh, then we had some technical knowledge required. So, you know, we're not here to hold your hand, even though we do a lot of the times. Some guys, like they just don't even know how to get into their their domain DNS settings, which makes sense for a lot of business owners. But the technical knowledge isn't knowing how to do it out in the back of your head. It's just knowing and being able to figure it out. Hey, if we ask you for an IP address for your domain, you can find it. Or, yeah, can we, can we give you step-by-step instructions that you can follow? And then get us the information that we need. Like it, we even have a lot of the stuff written in documentation that we can give to you. But if you're not even willing to read through step-by-step instructions to get the information that we're requesting, I mean, I think I think that's one level of this. And maybe the second one is um, I always go back to emails. Emails all the time. Emails every time because like setting up email on your phone, I think is fairly intuitive and almost. Man, if you if you get a new phone and you don't know how to set up your email on your phone, if you have to dive into the IMAP settings, you're you did something wrong. If you, yeah, if you have to call your grandkids to, to set up email on your phone, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not the best fit with us because there are going to be some times where we're just saying something simple like, "Yeah, no, Google Workspace is Gmail, but paid." You just log in to your Gmail account like you would I say, no but i want my domain and my email yes that that's what but we're trying to it's say. the same thing yeah same exact yeah but the the just to wrap this up the last one that we had was we need your feedback so if, mm-hmm. if clients are communicating with you and then they're mad six or three months later that the results were terrible they didn't tell us that for months and months and months and then it's too late to do anything so we always say like hey if you're upset if the leads you're not getting aren't great or if the leads you are getting aren't great then let us know because all we see is numbers on our end. We don't see quality. We don't see your sales. We don't see anything unless you tell us. And a lot of setting these precedents have really just been able to add so much more value with us. And we can also say, no, we don't do that. Uh, we covered this when we onboarded and during the sales process. And it's on our website. And there's a lot of, we even have a frequently asked questions on our website. And believe me, they are all frequently asked. <laughs> it's just positioning yourself to be whatever agency it is you want to be whether it's super consultative or very in-depth you do everything or if you're like us which is you do a few things but you do them extremely well and you and we don't want clients emailing us every day or calling us every day and we set that precedent too we say hey we're not going to call you every day we're probably not going to email you unless you email us and ask questions 
we are a very hands-off agency. That's the keyword that we use a lot. And as a hands-off agency, we want you to be able to handle the day-to-day of your business and have you know that your marketing in terms of Google and search engines and your website is just being taken care of. But yeah, that's the key essence of positioning. Um, it's kind of a cheap thing to say to add to this list, but it, it really does work. The other thing too is just being open to fielding requests that are outside your realm of knowledge. So a little bit kind of goes into communication. It kind of goes into that line iteming zero on your invoices for extra work. But I think setting up emails was kind of outside of your realm of knowledge in the beginning. But a lot of our clients wanted domain-based emails. We had clients that had like John Smith 1297 at outlook.com like in their website header where like this just doesn't look good and like well i want a domain email but i don't know how to do it and they were on our server which we don't host email so cody was like in hindsight probably should have saw that coming uh (laughs) and we do set people up with google workspace we don't host emails that's that's a hot take for some people who say that they our web design company or anything like that because they're like well you got to do that if you do that well that's not how we position ourselves one two it, it also goes with our philosophy of you retain as much control as possible the more that you have with us directly the harder it is to leave us so that's a big value prop that we give to customers and clients is saying um look this might be a little bit of a pain sometimes because we're making this optimal for you to retain as much control as possible because we're not leeches we're we're not trying to make you codependent on us to to force you to stay with us we really want this to be you're staying with us because you're happy with performance so for that reason we set people up with google workspace we don't host emails we only host sites and of course they can take the sites with them if they want to and host them themselves new clients do this with me with domains they're like hey i need a new domain like mine expired i just need a new one i'm like okay go to hover and get one and they're just like can you do it i'm like "I, i can but i'm not going to because that would mean i own your domain and yep. you don't want that. Sometimes they're still like, can you can you just log into my account and do it? And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, I mean, Hover doesn't allow you to have like multiple users on an account though. So like mm-hmm. you have to do it that way. But yeah, that's just kind of one of those things of just, if you're not used to something, also be open to it. If you're not used to fielding requests, like we, we've run a few Facebook ad campaigns when we first started and we didn't offer it as a service then. And we're like, okay, but this is going to be exploratory. You know, you're going to be our guinea pig for this. And they were okay with that. And we, did, we didn't even charge them for it. We're just said, uh, just give us the ad spend for it and we'll we'll run this for you. Yeah, lots of clients are okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they even like that idea when you just say, hey, I, I don't know. This is new. This will be learning. I'm not super confident in it, but I'm, I'm willing to do it and use you as guinea pig to get better at it. And if you're if they're impressed with the quality of your other work, too, that's usually why they'll say, yeah, that's cool, because you'll probably still do it better than anybody else. That's another thing, too, is, is don't take on tasks like that if they're not impressed with your other work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, make sure they're happy with, like, your, your core services before you start doing things like that. Mm-hmm. But even, like, we're looking for places to add value. And uh, right now, Google Analytics, or I guess what's referred to as either Universal Analytics or GA3, uh, they're sunsetting that as of June next year, and mm-hmm. it'll be no more, which means everybody has to switch to GA4. As you heard earlier, Cody is the resident expert in GA4, and that's still not saying much yep. because GA4 is still a mess. And uh, we were st- yep. I would still say we're, one of the pro- we're probably one of the first marketing agencies to actually switch all of our clients to GA4 because right when it was announced, they're like switching, or you're not switching, just getting it a view added or property added. Yeah, we've got everybody set up. And we're still actually right now transitioning everybody with the conversion events 
that they need. But yeah, no, uh, as far as just having an account, that was ASAP. That was right away because we knew that the data needed to start getting collected. This is getting a little technical for some people who are just starting out too, but it's just Google Analytics, a new newer version of it, uh, which we rely on for all of our reporting. And you should mm. probably too. I say people, even if they are starting out, that's, that's a non-negotiable. They're going to have to know and have to learn how to set up Google Analytics with conversion tracking. And the scary thing will be for them because it's all event-based that you have to use probably Tag Manager. You'll have to use Tag Manager and become familiar with that too. So yeah. Tag Manager's not scary though once you know how to use Tag Manager. Yeah. Plus, everybody will they'll always have step-by-step guides. Somebody out there will write, hey, here's how to do this if you don't know how. So, Well, didn't you? Didn't I write one? Yeah, I did write one. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that, one caveat to GA4 is that it, it only records data for 14 months, at least from what I've heard. So well, you can do year-over-year data, but that's about it. If you wanted to compare this year versus two years ago or this year versus when we first started with a client, can't do it. It's going to be even harder too now that we're switching over to GA4 from Google Analytics because none of that data comes over because it's tracked totally different. So, so we do we do need to check out though. So um, that's event data retention. And I wonder if you specify, it's been a while since I've been in there, if you specify event data, events as conversions, if it keeps the conversion data and kills off the event. Because if that's the case, that's okay. That's not the worst thing. If you lose the event, but the conversion data is still there because we create custom events for conversions. And that's how everybody will do it moving forward with GA4. So it's possible that will be okay. But again, it was a premature launch, whether or not they want to admit that. And they're still working on it. And we'll see how it keeps getting developed and playing out. But regardless, everybody needs a plan by next year because they're just going to pull the plug. Stupid. Um, my well, that, that's kind of my world. Also, looking at a Google Data Studio, so we're actually looking away from yep. moving away from Raven Tools and going to Google Data Studio One because it's going to save us 120 bucks a month or however whatever we're getting charged. Yeah, we're even more more than that. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, we're like 200 something, aren't we? Yeah, now we yeah, are. Yeah. Shoot. All right. Well, uh, we're moving to Google Data Studio One. Raven Tools can't pull in data from Google Business Profiles, which hosts it has conversions, it has calls, it has messages, it has quotes now, and Raven Tools can't do that. So we're missing out on a lot of conversion reporting that we can send to our client. Google Data Studio can pull that in. It's a native Google product. It can pull in analytics, Google Ads, anything related to Google, and we can create our own custom reports. So we'll learn about that and, and syncing all those things together but also you know then we're going to look into google bigquery another google product which is more of a data warehouse then we can actually take start taking results from google business profile ads and google analytics pulling them into bigquery and storing them for basically ever and then taking the data from bigquery and populating the google data studio report and we can populate that report and that way when bigquery is synced up to data studio we can filter the report through any dates that we that we want ever because the data is in bigquery not google analytics or uh, or it's being pulled from there these, yeah these we'll are just everybody updated on that stuff because that's going to be a monster oh, i know i'm not excited about it because i gotta learn i gotta learn sql but it's going to be a big value sell because it's not just a value sell that we're adding that we're differentiating ourselves from most agencies because most agencies aren't set up to do something like that they're probably going to have ga4 reports raven tools doesn't even work well with ga4 right now i'm sure they will next year but right now they don't and there's probably a lot of tools out there that don't work very nicely and so just us being able to have nice reports with some of these newer google tools that are coming out that'll just alone set us apart from other 
agencies just in the reports alone. Mm-hmm. This podcast turned out to be way longer than I thought it was going to be. It's super long. I thought it was going to be like 25 minutes. So hopefully you guys found this valuable because we got off track a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I fell all over the place. Not going to lie. <laughs> I feel like I didn't sleep enough and I'm just like, I don't know. It's a day. It's a Friday. It's don't, a weird one. Don't worry. I'll cut it. I'll, I'll cut everything you said. Works for me. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. Hope it wasn't too long. But uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next one. See you.